Hello friends and welcome to the Midweeks. I haven't recorded one of these things in a bit and I'm excited to be back here. Happy New Year's if this is the first one you're listening to. It's the first one I'm recording of the New Year's. But we're still in Kings in the second half in chapter 8 and I'm beginning to pray about what we're going to do next. Um, you know, if I stick it around here long enough, I could probably do most of the narratives of the Bible this way, but we'll see. It's good to have dreams. It's good to take things one day at a time. Just to remind myself, we're in the second half of Elisha's life, and we're going to be seeing some of the commands and prophecies that God gave Elijah near the end of his commissioning. Um fulfilled and so Elijah was supposed to anoint Elisha and Hazael and Jehu and in this chapter we see uh, Hazael come to reign and we also are going to start seeing more and more the intertwining of this um, pattern of recounting the kingship right this is about kings and in the heart of the book of kings is these are these two stories about Elijah and Elisha which tell us that even in the time when kings reigned politically, God ruled through his supernaturally empowered prophets. But we're going to start moving away from the prophets being the center of the narrative and going back to the kings holding that central gravity. Uh, but it's not just going to happen clunkily all at once. It's going to be like it's interwoven, like a thread going, th- a needle going through cloth. It's going to appear and then disappear, appear, disappear. So let's listen to this story. Verse 8, first one of chapter 8. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. Okay, so this probably reminds us of the famine of Elijah. But one of the things you're going to get here is a sense of time passing. Elijah told the woman to leave. This is at least seven years since when he raised that child from the dead. And so we get a passage of time story. So verse 2, So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. Kind of like David. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and for her land. So maybe she sold it or what, but, um, or maybe people have come and just were living on the land. It's hard to tell. There are, we don't have the details, but there's some kind of legal dispute about who this land belongs to, and she's going to go and appeal to the king, who's the, you know, the uh, Supreme Court. He's the judge over the judges, the highest judge, and so um, for one reason or another, she's going to go appeal to the king for her land back. Verse 4. Now the king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elijah had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son had he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, O Lord, my Lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. So this is a great little story. Um, Again, here's this woman rewarded for her obedience to the word of God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this woman humbles herself by leaving the land, which would be huge back then. I mean, it would be huge for us to sell everything and move, but even harder back then. And she moves from the promised land where there's going to be a famine. And she goes to the land of the Philistines, which we know from the days of David that bordered Israel and was often, they were often at war. 
but she goes in faith and then she comes back when the famine is over in these seven years and now there's some trouble with the land but she goes to appeal for it and coincidence of coincidences or actually the sovereign providence of god um, gehazi is there we have no idea what he's been doing but it's been a while since gehazi left serving elisha now he's found his way to serving the king so again gehazi's found his way into an important position at the right hand of someone in important but it's a downgrade from serving Elisha to now serving the king and he's telling the story about this woman and right then she walks through the door which is just amazing and the king is so stunned by seeing the living evidence of this miracle this child that was dead and is brought to life um, he gives her the justice of giving her field back but does even more by saying you know give her seven years worth of produce which doesn't totally seem right and fair to me but whatever it was right and fair in his eyes. Um, this reminds us, I think I'm reading the story of Esther. Do you remember in Esther, the king can't sleep and they start reading about Mordecai and Mordecai's good deeds are remembered just in time for uh, Haman to show up and be made to honor Mordecai. So we have this similar thing here, God ruling over the life of kings just through timing, essentially. And again, like I was saying at the beginning, Elisha ruling over the life of kings very inadvertently but through timing. So God is above kings. We're learning this again. God is blessing this humble woman who obeyed his word, provided for her. And this is not the first time that God has been taking care of uh, these these humble women. And you kind of wonder maybe um, the woman might be a widow at this point if it's just her and her son coming to the king. doesn't mention her husband. Uh, but whatever. God, faithful God blessing the humble verse 7 now elisha came to damascus so we're going to return to elisha he was present just in um the retelling uh, or sorry the telling of that one prophecy about the famine and the retelling of his deeds now he is in action here now elisha came to damascus so this is outside of israel damascus is a the capital city of syria which is a major country in this time ben hadad the king of syria was sick and when it was told him the man of god has come here the king sent said to hazael take a present with you and go and meet the man of god and inquire to the lord through him saying shall i recover from this sickness now maybe this reminds us of the story of naaman remember naaman went to go visit elisha with presents and he got healed of his leprosy so maybe ben hadad i don't even know if it's the same guy it might be maybe you can figure this out and email me but it was a king of Syria. And so maybe King Syria is thinking, now it's my turn to seek the Lord or th through Elisha. Verse 9, So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came and stood before him and he said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from the sickness? And Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You shall certainly recover, but the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. So he's not going to get a, a good response like Naaman did and this is weird like again Elisha has these moments where God is telling him to say things that's somewhat different than how things are going to turn out and I think in some sense God f has the right to tell people what they want to hear if they don't want to hear from God and he'll let them receive a false prophecy uh, but Elisha is honest he's saying you're going to tell him he'll recover but I know he's not going to recover verse 11 he fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed and the man of God wept so I'm thinking while he's staring at him he's receiving some kind of 
prophetic download from the Lord and then it breaks his heart. And Hazael said, why does my Lord weep? The answer, because I know the evil that you'll do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses and you will kill their young men with the sword and dash into pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. So Elisha's heart, like even though he's often not received by Israel, his heart, he still loves them. His heart is broken for the calamity that's coming their way. 13. And Hazel said, What is your servant, who is but a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. So we learn about Hazel's heart here. He hears, sees this guy weeping over like war devastation he's going to do, and he says, Wow, I'm going to do this great thing. And so he doesn't join in the tragedy of massacre. Instead, he sees the glory of being a victor. And Elisha said, this is going to happen when you become king. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me that you would certainly recover, which might be true. Like it's true that um, maybe he's going to recover from the sickness, but he's not going to live. Maybe that's the truth. When I was talking before, like, how does this work? Maybe that's it. Like he would have recovered from the sickness, but he didn't recover from Hazael. Verse 15, but the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died. And Hazael became king in his place. So he suffocated him by soaking the, the cloth. And Hazael becomes king through assassination. So not a good guy. In the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judea, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. So it looks like this might be a co-regency kind of thing, where when a king is old, they'll start another kingship and they'll share the throne so that, you know, there's a young guy to go out there and fight the battles while the old guy um, stays at home and leads with wisdom kind of idea. But this isn't a good move. And he walked in the ways of the king of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So this new guy, Jehoram, marries the daughter of Ahab, which is notoriously evil, king of Israel. And I think, I guess, a daughter of Jezebel. And not unlike Solomon, at the beginning of this book, his heart is led astray and he begins to do what is evil, or he's characterized by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 19, yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Now this verse here is, is where I feel like we're really moving back into the story being about the kings and other prophets because this taking a break and explaining God's actions that he's patient with Judah for the sake of his, the promise of David is the narrator making his presence felt in the story. And he did that way back at the end of uh, Solomon's reign, I think it was, or Jehoram's reign. Um, and so you hear the narrative narrator explaining what's going on here afresh. And I think that just meant to kind of reset we're coming out of the story of the prophets and moving back into the story of the kings. And I'm reminding you why uh, Judah gets mercy in times when a king is evil, waiting for a righteous king to come up. And it's for the sake of God's faithfulness to himself and to his own word and to his own promise that he promised David that a son would reign on the throne. Verse 20. In his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram passed over to Zair with all his chariots and rose by night, and he and his chariots 
chariot commander struck the Edomites who surrounded him, but his army fled. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his father in the city of David. And Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So this is a sign, you know, that because the king is bad, the Lord is like shrinking the dominion of the kingdom and is not going with him. And you have this weird thing where like Joram, yeah, he had this one successful chariot rally, but overall lost the war. And because of that, Edomites and Libna were able to revolt. And so Judah's influence is shrinking under the influence of an evil king. Verse 25, in the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, uh, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. And Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign. He reigned one year in Jerusalem. Uh oh, that's not good. His mother's name was Ataliah, who was the granddaughter of Omri, the king of Israel. So earlier we heard that a daughter of Ahab was the previous king's wife, and now we're told her name is Ataliah, and she is a granddaughter of Omri the king, and Omri is um, just one of the worst dynasties in the history of Israel, and so these associations are not good, and our uh, insight into the heart of Ataliah, and Ataliah is going to do a really dirty deed coming up soon. But right now, we're just being introduced to the characters. Verse 27, he also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. As the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. So that family influence has come into um, Jerusalem, into Judah, and it's poisoning things. And I think God's going to have to act. I think that's what happens soon, is that God severs this, um, this influence in an interesting way that we'll come to. And he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to make war against Hazael, the king of Syria at Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. So we met Hazael earlier, and now they're at conflict, and uh, Joram is wounded. And the king Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, the king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick or wounded, right? And so here's the setup for what's going to happen next when there's going to be some, like, uh, Jehu's going to come on the scene and he's going to do a bunch of killing of these wicked kings but this is the setup you've got this um, Ju Judean king with the heart of an Isra Israelite king um, ruling in Jerusalem and it's really not good and then you have the king of Israel fighting against the king ha Hazael and he loses and so they're going to come together and be in one spot coming up and that's where Jehu's going to do a deed against them and then Ataliah is going to take a moment to try to seize the reign for herself and that's going to lead to some other stuff but hey it's very complicated but we're seeing the progression of um, the story here and as we're reminded in this chapter this whole book is about the question what is God going to do with his promise to David he's promised that someone is going to sit on the throne of Judah forever and Yet, there's, he has to deal with the problem of these unbelieving kings and these faithless kings. And how is God going to solve this dilemma? 
and ultimately this story is going to lead to the northern kingdom going into permanent exile and the southern kingdom going into temporary exile and that question is going to be left hanging until Christ returns and comes and is inaugurated as the king of Israel through his crucifixion and then that promise is going to be ultimately fulfilled in the shorter term it's fulfilled with like Zerubbabel coming back to Jerusalem but this is the main question who is this everlasting king and what is God like as he deals with the unbelief of Israel and look at his character as he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble working out his sovereign plans over the world and be blessed